Thank you, Andrew, for those prayers, and good morning, church. It's good to be with you today. Welcome, those in person and online. How many of you have been to the AIA Carnival uh, this year? All right. There's like five people, right? It's a lot of fun. I loved the carnival as a kid, and we were there with some church friends last night and saw some other people from the church there, and it was wonderful to be down there. When I'm at a carnival, you know, I naturally want like corn dogs and popcorn and... We had a great time, and we did carnival games. I don't know if you've ever done the carnival games, but um, Eric and I thought, you know, we'll give it a shot to see if we'll win a prize. We didn't actually want the prizes. We didn't want to bring a big stuffed animal home, but we thought, let's go for it. And there was the beanbag game where you throw it, and you have to knock all the bottles off of the table. So Erica videos me, and I don't hit a single one of the bottles that are standing up in four shots. <laughs> so she videoed me and sent it to the kids and told them I was horrible at this game. But there's redemption, right? And thankfully, uh, that's not my identity. <laughs> but we're going to dig into identity-type questions today with primal questions. Last week, Erica spoke about the older sibling in the prodigal son story. And you might identify with the older sibling. Many of you um, shared with us afterwards that that is kind of how you identify with the responsible one, the one who's sort of duty-bound, who wants to do the right thing. And if you are in that place and missed the sermon, go back and look. Um, we did these rocks, and we've left the rocks up for this week if you want to engage the rock. And the rock could be many things. It could be, you know, this call to be a stone catcher, to, to stand in the way of sort of attacks and wounds to protect somebody else. The rock could be the thing that you're journeying with right now that's a struggle for you, and you want to leave that at the foot of the cross or to take it with you as a reminder to prayer. So whether it's during communion or after the service, we invite you to partake in that. We continue with part three of Primal Questions. And during this series, we have um, been filming you with questions you might have about the sermons. And then there's a response, and we post this on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. But let's have a look at some of the questions that we've been asked so far. Why do so many of our challenges come from our childhood experience? How do I know if I have made any progress through my primal question? Looking at the list of the primal questions that passed away listed, I wonder where am I accepted? would fit in. My question is, is the core gift what is expressed when the primal question is answered healthily and properly? How can we know if we are successful as parents? All right, there's some great, great questions there. And if you want the answers to those, go online and um, you can see those answers. And then today, if you have a question about the sermon, Mike will go around and film your question and we'll post the answer during the week. Well, let's dig into these seven questions we have been asking. Am I safe, secure, loved, wanted, successful, good enough, and do I have purpose? We've covered the first four questions, and we'll cover the last three today. But the idea that we're getting at here with these primal questions, it's a way of seeing your hidden programming. It's a way of seeing what is motivating actually how you are living your life. What's underneath it? Are there old wounds that are controlling your behaviors today and going after those things at the very root? Now, we have 
talked about this for two weeks, and so if you've missed those, you can go back and look at those in more detail. But there are ways of thinking about what is my primal question, and it might be thinking about what are the things that trigger me? When am I angry or, or anxious? You know, what sort of is the gift that I bring into a relationship? Do I help people feel safe or secure or loved? Do you have a message for the world? Do you have something you're passionate about that you want to, to proclaim? Or if you're a parent, what is a key message you give to your kids? And those are ways of getting at it. Um, you can also go online. This isn't uh, moving forward here. Move forward to the next one. Some of the triggers, and then finally to the assessment. Um, what are some of the ways that you can get at that? If you want to do an online assessment, um, you can do that as well, and that's a way of getting at that. So we've been showing this chart here. Um, what is the unmet need that's fueling your behaviors? Or what is the unmet need that's fueling your emotions? You know, we have a certain capacity for willpower. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to blow up. I'm going to, you know, manage my anger. I'm not going to say this thing that I'm tempted to say. And we can kind of white knuckle it and willpower our way. But our willpower is a limited commodity. If we don't go at the root of what is causing that, it's only going to be short-term success. If we can go after the root, we can go after that transformation. Now, what throws us into sort of a tizzy? When, when we're answering that question with the yes, am I loved? Am I seen? Do I have a purpose? Then life is good. We have emotional regulation. We're able to behave in the ways that we want. But if we're in a situation or in a relationship and we're not sure, do they see me? Am I good enough? and the answer is a no or, or maybe, then we enter this scramble trying to get to a yes, behaving in ways that bring us back to a yes. And the problem with that is that those are unhealthy ways we're trying to get to a yes. We figured out this adaptation as children. If I'm only sort of feeling loved by my parent when I do X, Y, or Z, then that's what I'm going to do. Then we bring that into our adult relationships. And it leads us in directions that aren't healthy for our lives. When you're feeling stress or anxiety or tension, chances are your primal question is being rattled. And when we're in that scramble, it untethers us from our identity. It untethers us to the truths that we can know about ourselves and who we are. So understanding what your primal question is helps you to get at the root of what is sending you into unhealthy ways of living in the current moment. Now, each of these questions also comes with a gift. Because you've wrestled with this question your entire life, you're used to figuring it out, which means you bring that gift into your relationships, into a community. You've been equipped to answer that question, and that can be a benefit of those that are around you. All right, before we jump in further, let's pray. God, I thank you that you are here. I thank you that you are a God who meets us wherever we might be at. So I pray as we were singing that you meet us in this place. You meet us right here, right now, that our hearts might be open to the working of your Holy Spirit. In your name, amen. So let's look at 1 John 2, 6. 
Whoever claims to live in him, that is to live in Jesus, must live as Jesus did. Looking like Jesus means living like Jesus. We can't respond in the world to how Jesus responded if we're not living like he did. Jesus wasn't just willpowering his way to good behavior and good choices. He had to nurture his connection with his father. He had to be connected and be secure in his identity. Remember what the father says to Jesus at Jesus' baptism. This is my son whom I well pleased. This is before Jesus had done any performance, if you will, any miracles, any turning the, you know, the loaves and the fishes to feed 5,000. He had a security in who he was as God's son. It fueled him to live out that truth of who he was. We see Jesus himself teaching in Mark 7. He says this, and then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. From within, out of a person's heart, Jesus recognized that our behavior doesn't come out of nowhere. It's not like, oh, all of a sudden I behaved in this way and there's no reason why I did. No, he understands that our behavior comes from deep within our hearts. See, if we don't go to the root, we'll have things leak out of us. Dallas Willard calls it, we have a gospel of sin management where we, we try to stop the behaviors. We try to, to manage those behaviors, but we never go to the root of what is causing the behavior. So going at the root is the point of this series. Now, some of the questions we've already dug into, I'm not going to spend time with them today, uh, but you can go back and look. The first question of, am I safe? The second one, am I secure, specifically financially secure? Am I loved? And, and finally, am I wanted? So our past shapes us in the, in the present moment, whether for good or bad. And if we don't deal with the past, then it will continue to shape how we live in the future. And if your past is contributing to your life right now, going in a direction you don't want, then you have to deal with the past. It's a necessary part of being healthy in the present. Now, if we want to look at a new way of being, um, Paul is writing the church in Ephesus, and he talks about this process of how that happens. He says this, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That can be a process to take off and to put on. Paul is talking about this reality of moving from old creation to new creation. Old creation, what are those ways that we're living is it self-centered? Is it full of greed? Is it full of unrighteousness? How do we take that off and put on the new to live into new creation, to live into, remember this overlap of the world and heaven, this new created space that Jesus invites us into where we reflect that new kingdom, that new reality. And it usually doesn't happen just with the snap. It usually doesn't happen with just a prayer that you want to trust in Jesus. There are things that we have to unlearn oftentimes, lies that we have to set down, 
things we have to set down in order to pick up the truth that God has for us. And when you find yourselves behaving in a way that looks like more like old creation, then you know there's something to go after there that's more than just surface-level management of behavior, but to go after the roots. See, God doesn't want us stuck in the past. He wants to be able to redeem those things in the past so you can live differently now. So that brings us to the final three questions that we'll look at. First, am I successful? Am I a winner? Have you noticed my talents? Have I achieved enough? As a child, you might have been, um, your parents might have focused on good grades, about winning, on high achievement. You have a need to be appreciated for the things you've contributed. You want to be seen as successful. You have a fear of being seen as incompetent or not achieving what you set out to achieve. Now, there's a real gift with this question as well. You want to to lead into positive outcomes. You have a can-do spirit and an ability to bring others along with you. And it's a beautiful gift to groups and to teams and the workplace and, and even the family when you're performing at your best when you're in un, when you're in a healthy place of being there's a real gift but when you're in the scramble when you're like uh, I'm not sure if this answer is being am I really successful it might lead you to workaholism it might lead to frantic work life it might lead you to places that aren't really healthy for how you're living you can make the mistake of attaching your self-worth to your performance You can see your identity as your job exclusively. You can be a constant state of trying to achieve more because your very identity depends on it. Years ago, after the Amy Chua book came out on on Tiger Parenting, um, this was maybe six years ago. I think Cody was probably 18 and, and Maya was about 13 or so. We're having dinner as a family, and, and I brought up the discussion of what the kids thought. Um, which of them thought Erica or me were the more tiger parent? And, you know, I kind of asked this because I was thinking, am I good enough as a parent, right? And I was so well, you know, ready to hear their responses that, you know, their mom was the bigger tiger parent, and, and they had all these issues with it. And um, But before I even stop the question, Cody says, for sure you were the tiger parent, Dad. And I was totally stunned, totally caught me off guard. I had no idea that he thought that. I certainly never saw myself as the tiger parent. And here he was so ready to jump in. And so I asked him, I mean, there was a, there was a choice I could make there, right, just to deny it. No, I'm not. What are you saying? That's ridiculous, right? And sometimes when our core question is confronted, that might be our response. But thankfully in that moment, now, I've been plenty defensive in the past about other things. But thankfully in that moment, I could see sort of the pain that he was bringing to his answer. And I said, you know, what, what do you mean? You know, what? say more. And he listed three experiences, three memories of when he brought home a test result and he didn't think I was pleased with his result. And I had to reflect on that. I had to realize that even though 
I wasn't thinking of myself as communicating to Cody that he didn't measure up. I had, in fact, given him that message. Even if it was unintended, it's what he was taking away. And so I had to apologize. I had to to work on being a better parent to him. And even if your child is an adult, you can still parent. As you learn better, you can be better. And and maybe this isn't just in parent-child relationships, but with your parent or with a sibling or with a partner, with a friend, with somebody in your life group, we can get better in our relationships. Now, thankfully, when it was Maya's turn to share, she said Erica was the tiger parent. So at least I didn't uh, have both of them uh, thinking that about me. So am I successful? Next question, am I good enough? Do I matter? Do I have the right to exist? Why is life against me? Those with these questions might have come in really controlled environments in their home. Perfectionism was everywhere. Making mistakes was not allowed. Approval was scarce. The family energy was spent on fixing things that were wrong. Anger and conflict weren't really allowed to to be there very long. They were kind of extinguished. No more discussion. Let's move on. Let's do better. So a core need here is affirmation of, of having your unique identity sort of valued, being loved for who you are and recognized for that. And there's an extreme fear of being judged, of being criticized, of having people think negatively of you. Our February 7th Thrive is on the challenges of people-pleasing and how it inhibits our growth. Jen Lai will be sharing. So if this question is yours, I would definitely come back to explore this some more. Now, there's also a gift with this question. You can be very practical. You can maximize from what you have around you to make the most of it. You're gifted at seeing possibilities of what could be making others around you better. But you wrestled with this, do I measure up? Do I feel unimportant? Is perfection what my caretakers are demanding of me? And these are places that bring shame into our life. Shame about, am I good enough? Am I bad? Or is that part of my identity? And we can be tempted to try to be perfect, See, perfectionism will be the defense of those that have this question because the belief is, if I'm perfect, then I'll avoid criticism. If I'm perfect, then I won't be judged. Brene Brown says it this way. She says, perfectionism is the belief that if we live perfect, look perfect, and act perfect, we can minimize or avoid the pain of blame, judgment, and shame Perfectionism is a 20-ton shield that we lug around thinking it will protect us when, in fact, it's the thing that's really preventing us from taking flight. It's used as a shield that, that keeps us away from deeper connection. If this is our question, vulnerability is difficult. Admitting weakness is a challenge because we're afraid that we are, in fact, not good enough. You don't want to talk about anything that might make you look weak, but it keeps us from authenticity. It keeps us from the truth that, in fact, we are accepted. We are loved. 
Our faith can be a source of identity, of our worth and value. I was thinking back over sort of shameful experiences that I encountered, and I had, I had forgotten about this one. I was about eight years old, and we had my aunt live just down the street, and her kids, my cousins, we, would, we went out for ice cream. And have any of you had bubblegum ice cream? It is horrible. I'm sorry if you love it. But it's like pepper and ice cream, but that's not the problem. It's like gumballs are in the ice cream. And what happens with gumballs in ice cream is it freezes, right? And, but I'd never had it before, and it looked amazing to me. So I got a big scoop of it, and we're back at my aunt's house. And her house was, like, immaculately clean and decorated and beautiful things everywhere. And, and I had this gum in my mouth, and I'm still trying to eat my ice cream. And it's just a mess. And I couldn't admit I didn't know what to do with it. I wanted to feel like I can handle this. And I went into the bathroom, and... You know, one thing led to another, and I ended up with gum all over the toilet. To this day, I don't know how I managed to do that. I was trying to take it off, and it would stick to everything I touched, and it was all over the place. And instead of coming out and going, you know what, I I had a problem here. Um, I couldn't handle my bubblegum ice cream. I just left the bathroom and pretended it didn't happen. Well, it's, you know, know, there's only like five of us there, right? And my cousin, about 30 minutes later, goes, there's a mess in the bathroom. There's gum all over the toilet. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was me. Sorry. No. I was like, just quiet. Don't. Maybe I won't be found out. I'm sure they knew it was me. But to this day, I have not admitted to my aunt that that bubble gum was me, right? Shame can keep us in this place of hiding, right? We see that with Adam and Eve. They hid once they had gone against God's desire for them. And we can do the same, and it keeps us from connecting with others. Our faith is such a big resource. Our community is such a big resource to be in places where we can be loved and accepted, to reaffirm the truth that Christ does love us, that we are made in his image, that we are enough in him. And then the final question, do I have purpose? Does my life matter? Am I changing the world? Am I impacting anyone Do I have significance in this world? We might have been taught as a child to to make the most of what you've been given to to those who much has been given, much is expected, right? Make the most of what you are doing. And sometimes in religious homes, we can even maximize that message. Now, of course, we want to make an impact and, and we want to live with purpose. But do we ever encourage our kids to to live a humble and peaceful life? Things that we're encouraged to do in the New Testament, to not worry about making the big impact, but being a faithful follower of Jesus wherever he might have us be. No, Hong Kong, we want to make a difference, right? We want a big impact. We want to splash. So there's a core need here to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And in fact, of course, being a believer, being in a community, we do get to to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Our lives is not just about ourselves. These are good things we want to encourage, but there can be this real fear of meaninglessness, of purposelessness, that we've messed up what we've been given. When we're in a good place, we can be about missional causes and we can bring others to that. We can help people unlock their purpose. But when we can be paralyzed by this question, And I I see this, you know, maybe with young people especially. Wanting to make an impact can be a good thing, but 
but we can be so paralyzed that we sort of see life as this blueprint where blueprints laid out by an architect. Everything has to be perfect, right? Or buildings fall down. And so I better not make any mistakes. I better make the most of every experience so that somehow I can have the biggest impact in this world that I was meant to be. But having everything fall on my own decision-making can be paralyzing. How do I make the best choice? I can agonize over, you know, oftentimes what are two good choices. So instead of seeing life as this blueprint that has to be perfect, I encourage people to see it as a mosaic, to see it as a story that God is weaving. And in a mosaic, you know, sort of you can see underneath and it's all these threads hanging below and you can't really make sense of it unless you have perspective looking on top. And both of our, you know, our experiences growing up, mistakes that we have made are sort of the ingredients we can give God to do his redeeming work. Something maybe we could have never imagined possible, but God is taking it all and using it all. Our faith, of course, can give us purpose and should give us purpose. But oftentimes we can so much put the pressure on making the impact. We can wander away from humility of just being faithful with whatever that next step is in our lives that God would have us take. We lose sight that God can redeem all things in his economy. And it, doesn't, it isn't up to us to, to make the impact. We're just here to serve God, to allow him to make his impact. And he will use who he will use. God will use all of it if we let him. I want to finish with two passages from Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians a lot this series because Paul is trying to express some deep truths to this church. He wants them to really grasp God's love, and he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even, we were, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Because of his great love for us, we can live differently. We can live with the truth of God's love. When I was younger, I would always think, yeah, yeah, God, God loves me, but actually he's, he's waiting to really love me once I get my life straightened out. Yeah, he, he, he sort of loves me, but he would love me more when I'm some future perfected version of myself. Then he'll really be pleased with me. Paul is wanting them to know, even when you were dead in your transgressions, the furthest away from God possible, God loved you. That's a truth we can maybe hear in our heads, but maybe it takes a while to drift and to work its way into our hearts. And finally, Ephesians 3, then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him, as you trust in him, this is the important part of that relational dynamic. As we grow in our trust, this truth will go deeper into our hearts. Our Lenten series is about a flourishing faith. How do we flourish in our faith with God? How do we flourish in our trusting of God? Because then your roots will grow, grow down into God's love and keep you strong. 
down to the very roots of the questions that we might be having, the challenges we might be having, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul is inviting the church of Ephesus to understand God's love deeply, and he would challenge us today as well to understand God's love more deeply. How deep, how wide, how far. Even then, we can't fully grasp it, but we can take steps towards understanding that love, going to the very depth of who we are. We come to this communion table, and and communion has so many rich symbols and metaphors to us. There's a breaking that happens. And there can be a breaking that happens when we go after these questions. Our heart can be broken open, which is why it can be scary to go into these questions. But when we do that, we give Christ the ability to go to those deep places with us. To go to those deep places and to heal us and to redeem us and to expand who we are in him. We can be so tempted to put the shield up around others and, and around God and, and miss his work in our lives. So we come to this table, not because of us earning this table, not because of how wonderfully we've lived our lives. We come to be fed, to be ministered to, to be redeemed, to be healed, to take in these physical elements that become spiritual elements for us. Physical nourishment that becomes spiritual nourishment, gifts of God's grace for us. Jesus knew what struggles were like. He knew what it was to be betrayed and he continues to give. And he continues to give today to you and me. Jesus, I I pray that this bread and this cup for us are your grace. God, I confess that often It's hard to have the courage to go to the deep places. It's hard to have the courage to be real with you. It can be so easy to doubt your love, to be in this scramble looking for things that you want to answer for us, God. God, we welcome your forgiveness and your grace and your love. May this not just be a meal, but may it be your sustenance a reminder of our dependence upon you. We thank you that you are so generous with your love and grace. May you do a work. Amen. That night Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread and broke it, said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in his blood. He gave so we could receive, that we could be redeemed. At Community Church, we take by intinction, and that just means you dip the bread into the cup. The clear glass has alcohol, it's wine, and the other one is just juice. We also have prayer ministers that would love to pray with you, to pray for you, whether it's something from the primal questions, whether it's something from the rocks that we were talking about earlier, or for somebody in your life would love to pray with you. 
a community church. This is the Lord's table, and he invites all to it that desire him. So I've asked Lisa to help me serve today's gifts, if she can come up, and also our prayer ministers to come up as well. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. If you desire Christ, say, please come.